ice water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street than Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Name a more toxic couple than Nick Saban in Tampa, Florida. We haven't seen volunteers get that lost in a swamp since Lewis and Clark. After halftime, South Carolina's defense disappeared faster than an F-35 in Charleston. Clemson is 2-1, and one, and life is good. Welcome back, everyone, to the Clemson Podcast. I'm your host, Nick, joined tonight by co-host Jarrett. We're also joined by a special guest tonight. Uh, Dustin Black is here to... Uh, break down the Clemson FAU game and look ahead to the Florida State game this week. Uh, Dustin, great to have you on. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me. Long-time listener, big fan of the Clemson podcast, and um, happy to be here, man. Yeah, before we um, before we really dig in here, uh, why don't you shout out what you have to promote, any anything you want people to know about. Yeah, just I started a film breakdown series on YouTube this year, um, just going over like Clemson's opponents and some of the stuff I've seen with Clemson from a film perspective. Um, I felt like there wasn't really anyone in the Clemson fan base that really filled that niche. Um, so I joined, you know, kind of joined a sports media group, Clemson Sports Media, and and I'm just kind of doing that for them. Um, not really a credentialed member of the Clemson media by any means, but just kind of doing a YouTube channel, just kind of trying to, you know, get my feet a little wet with the podcast world and stuff of that nature. That's awesome. awesome. Well, congrats on that. Uh, I know it's not easy work. It's very time consuming to do. And uh, we appreciate you putting your keen eye for football out there for all of us to get smarter. Jared, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Um, you know, I know everyone's looking forward to two back-to-back 9 a.m. games here on the West Coast. So, God help us, but uh, the, there's not much we can do about it. Yeah, as we get into the Florida State chatter, let's definitely talk about if we see that that kickoff time as an advantage or a disadvantage. But before we do that, I want to talk about this FAU game. Uh, Clemson, third game of the season. Night game in Death Valley. Always good to see that. Looks like a raucous atmosphere. Uh, Clemson really handled their business in this game right right off the bat uh, with a pick six. Uh, came away 48-14, but really that was a couple garbage time scores from FAU. Pretty much a resounding Clemson win, guys. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of of two minds about this win. Really great to see the team come in with some intensity in the first quarter and just really lead the way in the first half. Pretty mistake-free, um, you know, with a couple exceptions uh, in the special teams game. But um, really a three-phase sort of complete game in that first half um, with strong, strong special teams play outside of the, the place kicker. Um, how are you guys feeling about this Clemson team, sort of their performance on Saturday night? Maybe not looking, looking too much at the macro, but just, you know, in and of this game. Uh, Dustin, what, do you, what are your thoughts? Well, for me, it was just a good feeling to be sitting there at halftime and look at 34 nothing. I mean, you know, before the game, you're looking at a spread of 24 points and you're like, come on, man, this is FAU. Like, don't do this to me, you know. And, and mm-hmm. so, like, when you're looking at the scoreboard and you see them kind of really 
you know, put their foot on the throats of FAU. That just, it just feels good. It just, just kind of reminds you of what Dabo, you know, Clemson teams, you know, used to be all the time. I mean, how, how much did we take that for granted, you know, and now after these three years of, of what we've seen, it just, we just haven't really seen it that much. So overall, I thought it was a great performance. I mean, I thought that there were a lot of bright spots. I mean, some more freshmen stepping up. I think that, you know, the more that I see this team and the more I see these freshmen, like this, this recruiting class that we brought in was, is pretty special, like kind of all around, you know, and, and I, I don't know what that says about, you know, what we've been playing with the last two years. I'm sure we'll get into that, but, you know, when you see these freshmen come in ready to play and you see them already flashing and, you know, in particular TJ Parker and Khalil Barnes and now Tyler Brown's kind of cemented himself as part of the lineup. I mean, it's encouraging. So it's, it's not all doom and gloom in Clemson. You know, the, I don't think that the, the dynasty has fallen. So to, so to speak, I still think that there's still great players coming through and, and we're really starting to see that this season for sure. Totally. Totally agree. I mean, <clears throat> I was telling people that it, it it's like, we used to do this against like mid to decent level ACC teams, like on the regular. And, um, I think taking it for granted is the right way to put it. I think we enjoyed it, but maybe didn't like savor it as much as we should have. And um, yeah, I, I just kind of came away feeling like I knew that the Charleston Southern and FAU were not going to be, we wouldn't probably learn a ton, but as long as we get the people reps, we run the routes. It, we look like we can just slice people and dice people just building confidence on, you know, side to side of the ball, I think was the most important thing, especially seeing all the young people. Couldn't agree more. I think the the young talent was on display. Uh, nice also to see Jay Haynes uh, get some burn there in the running game. Just a couple of carries, but um, he's one to keep an eye on as well, especially we're not sure what's going to go on in that running back room in future seasons. Um, so, yeah, agreed. And I think what we talked about the last couple of seasons, um, we remember times when Clemson was emptying the bench, you know, getting 70, 80 guys snaps. Um, I don't know the exact count in this game, but Really felt the last two weeks Clemson was able to establish that lead and get more guys off the bench into the game. Um, they need that. They need those reps. You know, they're the depth of tomorrow and honestly probably the depth of this season. So um, it is interesting to see this coaching staff when you talk about um, all the talent that has come back. I think the, to really see freshman playmakers like this come in and make an impact in the first three games. Um, it is encouraging about the future and about the recruiting class that Clemson just had to your point, Dustin. Um, but also, I think it speaks to coaches do want to win. Coaches do want to uh, – they're, they're not going to play favorites or play, like, the tenure game too much. It does seem like, you know, the best guy is going to get the, the right playing time for this season. Yeah, for sure. And I think that you just touched on, like, a little point that I, I've had, you know, like, for the point – for, like, the past two years, um, you know, we've been in, like, knife fights with teams we shouldn't be in knife fights with. And that really hurts your development because you're not able to put kids in the game. You're not able to see them in, you know, live game reps. And like, you know, back in our heyday when we were making the playoff every year, I mean, you just you saw kids and you saw the future and you just played a bunch of kids because you were up, you know, two, three touchdowns in the third quarter. And, you know, not being able to do that, you know, it really hurts your development as a, as a whole. You know, and then when you look at the programs that, you know, I'll just use Georgia as an example, you know, Georgia's really just been beating people to sleep for two years. And, you know, they have a lot of young talent that they've seen play and that they've had, you know, been able to develop depth. So I think that there's a lot to that, that, you know, being able to just put teams away early and then, 
you know, just cycle in as many people as you can. I think that's a that's a great point in, in terms of development. Yeah, we definitely want to get into your thoughts and sort of continue to um, unpack or peel the onion a bit on development, player development, kind of coaching staff, putting the team in the right position to succeed. Um, just as we dig a little bit more into this FAU game, uh, Casey Thompson was their starting quarterback coming into this matchup. He played at Texas. Um, actually, I think he was recruited by Tom Herman, who was FAU's coach. A bit unfortunate to see him go out in the first half uh, with an injury. I forget who kind of rolled up on him, but, um, you know, I was, I was looking forward to seeing maybe a former power five, like top elite program quarterback, just come in and, you know, see what he could do against our defense and really have that defense be challenged um, ahead of the Florida state game this weekend. He's not a similar quarterback necessarily to uh, what the Tigers are going to face against the Knolls, but um, just a bit unfortunate that we didn't get like a full, you know, full QB one type of game against this defense. Uh, but I thought across the board, like clearly you saw the talent advantage for Clemson and it was great to see just consistent pressure. Um, obviously there were turnovers in the secondary Clemson came away with three picks and you do love to see that and just the ball hawking. Um, so awesome to see, but I think for me, it was sort of the, the line play and the pressure they got that was really the most encouraging. Yeah, it was uh, Denoff that ran up on him, I believe, and looks like he lifted a foot up, and then his foot, his right foot that was planted, he kind of got uh, kind of like tweaked a little bit. So I'm thinking maybe like sprained or tore his LCO, that outer side ligament. So I'm not a doctor, but just my, um, you know, mildly educated guess. Yeah, and then once the other guy, the backup quarterback, came in, I don't know that I've seen a backup quarterback be that startled you know, end to end. I mean, he, he almost looked like he had like chugged a bunch of Red Bull by accident on the sidelines because he would drop back, take two or three steps more and shake. It. Yeah. He would shake more left and right. And, uh, and just like throw the ball in the dirt or into Khalil Barnes, uh hands. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what a game for Barnes. Um, six tackles on the night, obviously the pick six to start it out. And uh, just, yeah, it's just a complete beast in this game. I remember, Jarrett, when we did the off-season show about who's coming in, who are we most excited about, who's definitely one of our, our names to watch. And by game three, he's already having that kind of impact. It's pretty great. Definitely. Yeah. Especially with, Maku with Makuba out, right? Like, he gives you that, that crucial depth in the nickel corner position. Yeah, like seeing him jump those routes, like that's not normal. You know, what we saw him do in the spring game and then now he did it again against FAU, like that's not something a freshman should be coming in doing. Like that, that is a play. Like he's just making a play on the ball and like his his first step and his get off is just is just ridiculously good. Um, and for someone who I, I don't even remember what he was, was he a three star, I think three star, low four star. I mean, he wasn't like one of those highly touted recruits that we had coming in. I mean, he was one of our you know, lower rated guys that just, he's already shining and, you know, great evaluation by coach Reed again, seems to be loving the state of Georgia and pulling those kids out pretty good. Yeah. It's basically his, you know, we're able to pull seemingly like one to two guys out of their year, which um, I'm sure UGA would love to have him, him in a uniform. So it's good to see. Yeah. Sure, any other for, uh, for you from the defense? Oh, nice. 
Um, I I want to make a note too about Kate Dinoff. Like he looked like a big liability a lot, honestly, in his career. But I feel like he I wouldn't say he's taking a full next step to be somebody I completely trust in every down. But uh, it was nice to see him for whatever it's worth against FAU kind of like come a little bit more in his own, maybe get a little more confident, um, getting some more snaps. Um, I mean, honestly, uh, TJ Parker and P Wu are, are really fun to watch. It was uh, almost kind of remind me a little like power Rangers action where, you know, there was one play where uh, Peter Woods takes a double team, literally just eats a double team alive. And then there's no one blocking TJ Parker and he runs in for a sack, you know? So I think, those freshmen are going to be great. I'm trying to think of anyone else that stood out really that we haven't talked about. I mean, the other corners like Lucas and um, pride, like they had some good plays, but uh, I don't know that anything really like stood out on the defense. Avion Terrell had a good game too, um, which is interesting. I think he had just in terms of like, I mean, he was, he was a pretty, um, pretty present force there in the secondary. Um, but yeah, Clemson was absolutely, uh, I'm like emptying the bench, so to speak. I thought did Toriano Pride go down with an injury, or did he come back in and play? I know at one point he came came up limping. Um, not sure. Anyway, yeah, out, I think uh, he, he would have come back. I did think I read. I think I remember hearing or seeing that um, Terrell got a little banged up at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, just that depth in the secondary is really critical to build at this point, especially you know Jordan Travis and that Florida State passing attack, very potent. I imagine you'll likely see the the starters stay in for the majority of the game, but um, good to know you're starting to see Clemson sort of develop some of that that next level talent um, in case they are forced to get in there and play. Um, so, yeah, I guess um, another name I wanted to call out, uh, not too disruptive from a stats perspective, but really saw DeMonte Capehart get in there um, and chase, chase those FAU quarterbacks. I, I don't that guy is just an enormous beast of a, of a man. Uh, so good to see defensive tackle, you know, continue to, to produce. And I know he's been on the team a couple of years, had some injury misfortune, uh, but love to see his name called. Yeah. He's one guy that when I went to the orange bowl last year and saw in person, like he's just, he is, he's an enormous human and, and seeing him in person definitely changed my perspective on him. Like he's, he, he's powerful, man. And I, I definitely think, you know, if, if you see Rook and TD go next year, I think him and Peyton Page are going to be a solid duo um, with P. Wu in there as well. I mean, that's just – it's an embarrassment of riches in that room, you know, going forward as well. But the guy that I kind of like, and I've always, you know, kind of liked, even when he was a recruit, and he's starting to quietly come along, is Sherrod Koval. Um, So he's another guy that, you know, I'm actually surprised that he's not playing a little bit of nickel spot. I thought that he could do a little – do you know, could shine there a little bit. Um, but I think in terms of like, you know, when you're looking for someone to replace Mickens or Phillips next year, I think Sherrod Koval, who's been in the program for a couple of years now, is going to be, you know, ready to step in that starter role next year for sure. Love it. I mean, it's a safety position. I just don't think we can have too much talent, especially after a couple of just complete zero take years back in like 2017, 2018. So, yeah, it's great. Great development. Um why don't we maybe flip it over to the offense and then we can move on from FAU. Uh, again, I think this is a, a strong performance across the board um, from the Clemson offense in the first half, at least. Uh, Cade looked pretty strong. I think some of his um, incompletions and 
other issues really reared their head in the second half. Uh, but I, I, I like the game plan. I like the, the balance that they had early on. Uh, we did, unfortunately, um, Cole Turner go down with an injury. Sounds like he's going to miss the year uh, with some type of an ad- abdominal strain or an abductor strain. Um, so wish him the best recovery. Just We've already talked a lot, guys, about the lack of depth of talent at the wide receiver position. And Turner was essentially a starter this year. So to see him go down is not great news. Um, also, you saw Antonio Williams. Uh, go into the locker room in the first half a little bit early. Um, so little little banged up here. Not great going into the FSU game. But, um, you know, the real MVP on offense in this game was Tyler Brown, I thought. And um, But what I also wanted to call out here, in addition to what Brown was able to do and just get separation, um, great hands on the day, I think we, we started to see the play calling, you know, get, put the ball in Cade's hands and ask him to push it downfield, which we did not see at all in the Duke game. So um, he, he felt to me pretty accurate downfield. He obviously had the long touchdown to Brown. Um, but yeah, across the board, how do you guys feel about this performance in the passing attack? Yeah, well, I thought you nailed it. I mean, like, I, I just want to see them push the ball downfield a little bit more. Um, that's like the one area that we're really lacking, you know, especially like if you look at our offense, like I, I did a little digging today. And like, if you take out the Charleston Southern game, these are Cade's stats, okay? He's 43 of 70, which is 61% completion. He has 378 yards, four touchdowns, one interception, and that's only 5.4 yards per attempt. And that's horrible. Like, that, that's yeah. horrific. DJU last year, he averaged 6.8 yards per attempt, and that was 93rd in the country. So that's a number that, like, it needs to go up like astronomically. Like it needs to like double almost fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it, it's it's just a number that's got to change. And and I think when you start seeing them push the ball downfield, um, you know, it's just going to open up everything else. You know, and and I think that you know the comparisons to I, I don't know if anyone was comparing him to the Sean Watson, but I felt like that was completely unfair. But I do think he has that mentality where he's just going to let it fly sometimes. Like he's just a gunslinger. Like you just got to let him throw it deep. You know, if mm-hmm. you want to arm, if you want to arm punt on third down, go ahead and arm punt on third down. It's not, it's not that big of a deal for me on a young quarterback to do that. You know. Yeah, yeah, and only only is what fourth start basically, um, fifth if you count the ACC title game. Um, yeah, and in this one, guys, some there were some drops. I mean, I'm looking at Bo Collins' direction. I think that's where we're really still looking for the boundary option, or the boundary threat to. Uh, give him that target. They can get downfield, get separation, go up and get the ball. So unfortunately, like we want Bo to turn it around. It seems like he's got the tools for it. But if it's going to take maybe finding some of the smaller, shiftier guys to unlock this offense downfield, like so be it. Um, I do, I do think in the matchup against FSU, they do have a prone secondary. Um, so that's one where we really do hope Antonio Williams will be as close to 100% as he can be, uh, because I think it's it's him and the Tyler Brown show now. With, with Cole Turner out. Yeah. The, um, the, the promising thing, you know, I saw some really unique and I'm not a football X's and O's expert by any means, but like I saw some really unique um, lineups and um, you know, just plays on uh, versus FAU that I hadn't really seen before or hadn't seen often. So I think, like I said, it's not that we, are trying to see if we're great or not. It's just like, can we just almost like a scrimmage? Like, can we just run these plays consistently and get the reps and get these guys some confidence? I think that 
confidence has been lacking. Uh, and I think at the beginning of the Duke game, it was basically like we kind of got punched in the mouth, stepped on our own um, feet, and was just like, oh, crap, like we suck and just couldn't get out of our own heads. Um, but to see, you know, more variety in uh, passing, I think uh, Brenning still had, you know, like three catches for, you know, a couple yards and a touchdown. Um, yeah, we got to see him and say Jenis. I think Josh Sapp got in there a little bit too. So air it out figure out how to keep Shipley from yelling at Spiller, give him some more Chipotle and uh, we'll keep everybody happy. Jared, that's a, is that a thing or not a thing? Uh, the Shipley Spiller <clears throat> kerfuffle. Yeah. Uh, it, it looks like a thing. I had people message me saying like Shipley's affecting the team around. We're all in danger. Like we're waving a red flag. And then, you know, looking on Twitter from people that know a lot more than me and including like former players. And it's like, yeah, it's literally nothing. Like they're just, they're two heated, really competitive guys. So it's well, not a talking thing. about talking about the approach he took on, on that, uh, I guess the second down before it went in the end zone. Right. Um, anyway. Yeah. Seems like, seems like nothing, but we'll see, but it does seem like Shipley Shipley was benched for the rest of the game or they weren't interested in running him out there. But again, Clemson had like a four score lead at that point, you know. Yeah, he, he came back out. To, yeah. He came back out a few times. He was but I think he was mostly in either pass protection or uh, you know, what you run around. But I don't think they really fed him the rock much after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um I would say it did seem like a little bit of a pedestrian running performance for the team, but I think they were really just trying to emphasize the passing game um and get get Kate involved in that regard in this one. Clemson averaged 4.9 yards to carry. Um, they had a few, no, no runs over 20 yards, but a, a few in the upper teens. And uh, Dominique Thomas um, really had almost as many carries. Will Shipley led the team with 10, but um, yeah. What's his, what's his name again? Quadzilla? Quadzilla out there, you know, able to soak up some carries. It's great. The depth of the running back room is just ridiculous right now. I mean, like, even when you see, like, Keith Adams run out there, you're like, this is our fourth best guy. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll take, that. I'll take that all day. You know, I think that a lot of people, you know, had a lot of gripe with CJ and how he recruited and all that stuff. And I think he's kind of put that narrative to bed, to be honest. Yeah. And who's the guy coming in next year? Ozumi? I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right. But um... so I just, I just defaulted to call him, him Ezzy. I think it's Ezzy. Okay. Yeah. So I just call him Ezzy. You know, just Great. just something simple. So yeah, and he's coming in next year, and the guy coming in twenty five is, is pretty special as well. So I have no concerns yeah. with the room going forward at all. Nice. Um. All right. Should we hit the kicker real quick before we move on? Um. So <laughs> unfortunately, Robert Gunn the third. Um. Once again, some of the mistakes we saw against Duke reared their head again in this one. And this PAT on the first touchdown. And then a miss, I think, 33-yard field goal attempt later. Um, really, really sucks for the kids to have to go through this. And uh, it sounds like Clemson has signed a guy who wasn't on the roster, wasn't even – somehow he's eligible and has been enrolled at Clemson recently enough to where he can be a grad a grad player at this point. Um, is it White? Is that it, Jarrett? Yeah, I believe that's it. He was actually taking online classes. Like, I think he graduated uh, last uh, December, was BT's backup for the last two years, four years in the program. Um, you know, Dabo says not some guy off the street per se, but yeah, um, 
it's uh it's very weird it's like he's got a job that he's supposed to start in like two weeks and then the coach basically like you know imagine you're home in charleston taking online classes for i don't know finance for an nba and then your coach calls you to come back and play you know starting kicker against a huge opponent you know with only a week to prepare yeah i think the quote was either this is going to be a a great story or completely terrible (laughs) and not in between yeah and which is how i feel about florida state games to be honest so um we will see but i mean i'm glad they're making some kind of move and adjustment to try to address you have to be able to be automatic under 40 yards at the very least and on pats um if you want to have a serious program so um, you hope Robert Gunn the third can figure it out and maybe some competition will help with that. Who knows? Maybe this white guy can even talk to him and help coach him up as a guy who's right there behind BT Potter. So um, in that regard, not great, but it sounds like they're going to do a little bit of a committee approach. Um, just sucks that it's now the Florida State game. They got to figure that out. Yeah. And then I, you think back to the spring game and, you know, that kid that transferred after hitting like the 50 yard field goal in the spring game, it's like, did we choose the wrong kicker? <laughs> I mean, what did that guy end yeah. up? Didn't he end up at UNC or something? I think he went somewhere in the conference. I think his name was Liam Boyd was the other kicker's name. Hmm. Did we just mix up their cards when the coaches were deciding? <laughs> yeah, it, it was Liam Boyd. I, I just uh, spoke to the crack um, podcast research team, and they came I, back with that. <laughs> yeah, our production crew. Shout out to them. Yeah. Um, Nice. Uh, how about the punt return game, guys? A little scary. Uh, there was a fumble um, in that in that phase, and um, I don't know, just n- not the greatest, not the not the most crisp. Um, Tyler Brown started returning some of the punts. He had a forty-four yard return, which is awesome. Uh, set the team up with a short field, and um, don't have much else to say. I guess we got a forty-three yard average punt from Aiden Swanson. Um, it is important. Field position makes a big difference, but. Yeah. Something that thought was weird was I'm pretty sure once or twice, I think I saw maybe Tyler Brown and Mizun Kelly, um, out both to field the punt. And so I don't know the last time I saw, like, I don't know what you call like the two receivers out for a punt. So that's a, I guess an interesting change. And then you don't have, I guess it's one fewer person to kind of have like blocking, or uh, giving you space whenever the punt returner is going on. So who knows? Maybe uh, that's a Garrett Riley thing. Yeah, I thought they ran Hamp Green out there with a punt return one time. I thought it was Hamp Green and someone else in a, in a, double, in a double coverage punt. I, it, was, it was interesting. They trust his hands after that uh, ESPN top pick or top catch. <laughs> um. Anyway, any parting thoughts on the FAU game? Again, I thought it was the performance we, re- we really wanted to see um, from Clemson, a bounce back here. Um, I'm good just in terms of uh, covering this game, but guys, but any, any parting thoughts? No, I thought the one thing that was interesting when they were in the press conferences was talking about how that touchdown developed with Tyler Brown and Cade. You know, you can't really tell too much about inferior opponents, you know, with Cade, you know, lighting up FAU or whatever you want to call it. But for him to notice a defense and kind of tag, you know, Tyler Brown. So basically what Tyler Brown was supposed to do was he was supposed to run kind of an out route. But then, you know, Cade noticed where the safety was lined up and said, no, go ahead and run the post. 
and I'm going to hit you over the top. And, you know, it, it worked out pretty dang well. So for Cade to be able to recognize that and, you know, be able to communicate that with Tyler Brown and, and to execute it to that level was was pretty encouraging. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I thought that was a big point that was made in the presser this week. And, you know, I, I think that that's encouraging going forward. Yeah. Well, I'm, I may have to um, boycott my boycott of all the press release and coach speak. Cause I was pretty, pretty sad after hearing all of the uh, great things they said all off season and they get beat by Duke. So I, maybe I'll have to give them a second chance. Cause I wouldn't have picked up on that. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, well, why don't we pivot there, guys, just talk about the team heading into the Florida State game and um, what we're really seeing across the board. Um, I think it's impossible to not look at that Duke game in some regards and see, obviously, there were mistakes made and, like, the ball can bounce the wrong way, you know, several times in a game and it can get away with you, away from you. But I think what's really clear is that this Clemson team is not anywhere near the crisp team that uh, Dabo was talking about in the in the um fall camp pressers and talking about, you know, this team can elevate to the level of national championship contender. I just don't know that we've seen that translate on the field. And what I wanted to talk about and unpack here a little bit is, you know, where there are pockets of what we might consider to be a long way to go from a development perspective or maybe uncrisp execution in the game, um, or maybe players not really fit it, filling, fitting up to their, uh, their star rating or their status that we thought they were at. I just wanted to maybe get your take, Dustin, as someone who's spent a lot of time thinking about this team and, and watching film and looking at this team, um, just sort of unpack a little bit your input around, let's just use the word disappointment in, in some areas about this Clemson team. Um, we do also want to use this opportunity to call out optimism and call out progress that you've seen too. So, um, you know, I maybe we'll start with some of the criticism we've had on the show um, we've really laid a lot of the, uh, call it, I keep using the word crisp, but uncrisp play against Duke, lack of preparedness for your first opponent of this season on having inexperienced assistance and not really having having the coaching to be able to prepare players, you know, mentally for the challenge of, of the regular season and of a big, big primetime uh, matchup like that. It is Duke. You know, we, we would expect Clemson to, first of all, be out talented out talent Duke. Um, but just, you know, curious from your regard, should we be thinking differently about this? Is it really not about coaching? And is, is there any of this equation just about players putting it together on a Saturday or in the case of Duke on a Monday? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that it goes back even back to, you know, that off season before the 22 season. And, and, you know, when, when Dabo made those hires, when he promoted, you know, Wes Goodwin and he promoted Brandon Streeter and, you know, you just look up and down the coaching staff and there's just no experience. And so my question was always, you know, during that 2022 season is how are you developing coaches and players at the same time? You know, you, you can't be doing both. You, you know, if you're developing coaches, then the players aren't getting coached properly. You know what I mean? And if you're developing players, then you don't need to be coaching the coaches. So that was where it started for me. And, you know, I came into the season, you know, I, I, I bought into the hype. You know, I, I bought into the Garrett Riley hire. I thought, you know, the scheme offensively will will change the team. And, you know, it's a quarterback friendly offense. Cato looked great. He doesn't need time and all that stuff. And but when I look back at, you know, January, February, I look at some of the stuff I tweeted out and some of the stuff I was had opinions on. And, you know, I, I just wasn't that high on Cade going into this year. 
Um, and then I just kind of listened to come, some of the fall camp stuff and, and, you know, bought into it, you know, and then I, I, I don't know how to make sense of it really. Um, you know, I think that one indicator that, you know, players aren't being developed is that these players are getting outperformed by freshmen. You know, there are players that were playing high school football months ago coming in and taking, you know, guys that have been within the program three or four years, they're taking their jobs when they step on campus. And, and to me, that's that's an indication that, you know, some of the guys that are have been in the program for years are just are just not getting developed. And and that's another thing, you know, after this year, it's I still think that there's another inflection point of, you know, where does this program want to go? And I know one thing I've talked about with, with you, Nick, is, is, you know, does Clemson have Monday through Thursday problems or do they have Saturday problems? You know, is it, are we even prepared to win the game on Saturday throughout the week? You know, you always hear the great football players talk about, you know, I, I, I had confidence on Saturday because of my preparation. Okay. So how confident are these kids on Saturday, knowing what they did all week leading up to the game? And, you know, especially when you look at something like Duke, like Duke plays a very standard, you know, form of defense. They don't really do anything exotic, I'd say. You know, they're not they're not sending a whole bunch of like exotic pressures. Um, they basically just play everything deep, keep everything in front and rally to the football. That's their defense. And it is exactly how they played last year. It's exactly how they played this year. So, you know, like why were why weren't we prepared for that? You know, I actually thought. I actually thought that the Duke um, offense, you know, I, I felt like we handled them pretty well. Um, I think the one thing that was discouraging with Duke was the linebacker core. I thought the linebacker core, that was one of like the worst games I've seen either one of them play. And they decide to play it on the same night, you know, especially when you look yeah. at that long touchdown run for Leonard, like how in the world, mm -hmm. you know, if you look at a screenshot of that, whenever Leonard, you know, steps up in the pocket, there's literally three guys around him. You're like, how in the world, is there a touchdown scored on this play? So I don't know if that goes back to they're not being physical enough in fall camp that, you know, they're not tackling enough. They don't have pads on enough. I don't know what that is, but all I knew is that, that, that Duke tackled all right that night and, and, and Duke handled their business that night as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the game shape comment that Carter made was uh, circulated on Twitter a bunch. And I saw uh, one of our, friends or at least somebody I like to follow tiger swordfish. Um, and he was like, yeah, when I played, like we got game ready, like in practice, we went to Derby Meadows and hit the shit out of each other. And it's like, that's how we got in game shape. It's like, it's not about running sprints. It's about like getting your body physically acclimated to hits. He's like, it just didn't look like they were, you know, in game shape. So what I would yeah. add too is Trotter. I mean, was he even 50% in that game at Duke? And it was a humid night, hot night. Like he probably shouldn't have been playing. I get though the team doesn't really have the depth of that position. What 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 possibly could the team have done to add depth and talent at the linebacker position? I wonder. Mm. If is there anything? Well, something's you on the t the t t tip of my t some of the t tip of my t tip of my yeah. transfer portal. Recruit better. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, all of these yeah. things, right? That we that we harp on a lot with with us and with Quacking Tiger. Um, but yeah, just not showing up ready for the opponent and have and matching the intensity. Um, I, I guess maybe Clemson still gets like every opponent's best effort. Um, I'm sure like, I, I remember reading a thing that Mike Elko was like, how many of you guys received an offer from Clemson at Duke and nobody there had, I mean, we were, they, they ran that video of like running down a hill, you know, of a player trolling Dabo basically back in January, mm -hmm. you know, they, they had this one circled for years basically. And they showed up Clemson didn't. Um, I think the biggest, 
biggest question I have is, like, we've beaten that game to death a little bit here on the show. Um, we're going to learn a, a heck of a lot more about this team this coming Saturday. And do I feel better about the Florida State matchup after seeing Florida State flounder a bit against Boston College? In, in some ways, I do. Like, in some ways, I think the LSU game, um, we don't know how good LSU is to really benchmark Florida State at this point. Um, and it, it looked like LSU was able to move the ball in Florida State a bit. Um, Johnny Wilson had some drops. So there's just like signs and elements in Florida State that maybe they maybe they're not just like the 2013 Seminoles this year. Um, but I I don't know how much to read into them going on the road and for a noon start to Boston College. Um, they're going to be up and they're going to be ready for Clemson. I feel like so. Um, anyway, I think you know a, a big thing getting back to talking about some of the disappointment here really is like matching up with the expectations set versus what we're seeing. Um, and Dustin, I know you talked a bit about Cade. Has there really been anything in the FAU game or the Charleston Southern game that leads you to believe that he's taking some strides forward relative to what we saw with Duke or maybe in the Tennessee game last year? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that one thing that I see with Cade is that he's, he's throwing with anticipation. So you know, a lot of these out routes and a lot of these, you know, routes that you see, like he's he's releasing the ball before the routes, you know, started at the top, you know, and he's he's trusting Bo a lot. Bo and him have, have you know, created a good connection in that aspect. And there was one throw in the um, Charleston Southern game where Bo wasn't even facing Cade and Cade just went ahead and let it rip. And then, you know, by the time Bo turned around, the ball was right where it needed to be. Um, so that's the one thing I point to is, as you know, if you're not going to have wide receivers that separate, well, then, you know, you got to throw with anticipation because you got to throw it right when that route's breaking. Um, so that that's definitely encouraging. And then, you know, going back to the presser of him reading the defenses and stuff. But the thing that, that you know, I, I think that we really miss is the, the, the quarterback run. You know, I think the, the dead leg DJ, as much as we made fun of it, it was effective, you know, and how, how many years, I mean, that was two years. That was our red zone offense was running DJ. You know, so, I mean, we very rarely threw the ball in the red zone. We, we generally ran him with RPO schemes and stuff like that. So um, that's one thing that I think that Cade needs to take the next step and and definitely, you know, use his legs a little bit more against Florida State because we've already seen two quarterbacks, you know, against Florida State put up, like, good numbers rushing. You know, that Castellanos guys from B.C. ran for almost 100 yards. Um, so that's a big aspect, you know, of, of Clemson's offense that needs to be unlocked, you know, definitely on Saturday. Yeah, this gives me hope that this could be where, Jarrett, welcome your thoughts on this. Have they had the coaching staff at Clemson sort of been keeping that under wraps for this game? You know, not running Cade too much out there. He has had some scrambles. I think he, um, obviously, he had like the short yardage touchdown in the red zone. So maybe that'll be part of the package this weekend. But um, he, you know, he has shown a tendency to be able to run it um, and be elusive, which is good. Jarrett, what are your thoughts on the quarterback run? So, as long as he slides after the marker and doesn't get targeted, I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely pro quarterback run. Um, the I think the thing too is like it's there's two different body types, two different styles, obviously. Um, where you know it's almost like he's Shipley and DJ's Mafa, right? It's like you're not going to necessarily run Shipley in the A gap all day, but. I think that um, he's got some serious wheels. We've seen the wheels. It's just a matter of like being um, strategic with it. 
the the thing that I like to see is that for how bad the freaking red zone defense has been uh, for a while, but especially like even in the FAU game, it's like we did start to open up a little more passing into the red zone in defense. Like that one touchdown was literally just like on the outside, just a couple steps in and then cut in like a slant. And like the ball came out right as he was about to turn. And it was just, I mean, we saw that with Trevor like all the time, just literally quick, quick little slant for a touchdown. Like that was, that's beautiful. There's no, like, you're not trying to cut over five guys' heads. You're not trying to thread it in the triple coverage in, in the end zone. Yeah. Cause everybody that's sees so you staring down. Stuff. Yeah. 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 So I, I like love timing that. route. Yep. Yeah. And use Brennan. Yeah, like we need to use Brennan stool in the red zone. Yeah. Like, I, I don't like, know how more, how more obvious you need to be. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. he's good at it. Just throw it up and let him go catch it. I mean, it's not that difficult of a throw, you know. I mean, how mm-hmm. many how many, how many guys that play defense in the secondary are six foot six, six foot seven? You know, not yeah. not many. So, yeah, he's a great candidate to use um, the uh, fake that we had with um, Deshaun and Jordan Leggett, where it's basically Deshaun takes the ball, starts to run, walk up to the line like he's gonna QB power, and then just like you know, jump shots it over to the tight end. That's coming. <laughs> Just wait. Do it. Uh, you guys touched on a couple things I wanted to go back and unpack. Um, Dustin, you said Duke was able to get pressure really without too many exotic blitz packages. And how, how have you felt the O-line has held up so far this season, both in the Duke game, but also against some of these lesser opponents? Um, have you felt like Cade has been pressured unjustifiably do you, have you seen a lot of rotations do you think they're still feeling out the right combination of guys at the right position um how well do you think that offensive line is coming along at this point i think that there's a long ways to go uh personally um now the duke game we did see you know and I, I know we heard it in the in the fall camp that we had seven starters well we saw seven guys a lot in the duke game you know they would rotate Lee and Tate out for Mitchell Mays and Colin Sadler all the time. And, you know, I, I, I kind of think up to this point, I would say Colin Sadler's outperformed Tristan Lee um, for, for my personal belief. Um, but yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of, of Mitchell Mays, and I don't mean to talk down about a player and stuff. But the thing is, is that Mitchell Mays is – he's a guy that, you know, in a Garrett Riley offense, you're, you're asked to guard space a lot. Like, you're asked to pull – um, especially as a guard, you're asked to get to the second level and that's just not his game. You know, I, I think that he's more of like a, um, like a sure-footed pass protector kind of guy. Like he's not a guy that's going to get downhill and, and get out in space and, and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, as a whole, and just as a unit, you know, you, you looked at a unit that had Putnam at center for a second season and he's been, I think he's been fantastic. Like, I think he's been yeah. our best lineman. Like, he he probably had the most question marks for me um, last year. But, I mean, he's he's been outstanding, I think. I think he's had a really good um, start to the season. Um, you know, Walker Parks is banged up. He didn't play against FAU. But, you know, I always thought that he was a better tackle than he was a guard. I thought in 21 when he played right tackle, he was, he was spectacular. Um, but, obviously, we filled him in to guard, um, to fill a void. Um, and then Blake Miller's been super disappointing for me so far this year. I mean, you look at a guy that's freshman All-American, played, you know, most of the snaps last year. Um, you want to see him make a leap. Like you want to see second year in the or second year in the offense, um, second year playing college football. You know, you, you kind of wanted him to be more of a sure thing than what he looks like right now. Um, so just as a whole, I've been super disappointed, particularly in pass protection. Like I, I, I just don't think that, 
that, you know, going into the Florida State game, looking at what we're looking at, I, I think that that's a huge concern for me with with the edge rushers they have, particularly like coming at our tackles. You know, I, I just I don't know how we win that matchup over four quarters, to be honest with you. And the question you had is, do we have sort of the extra help? Like, are, are our running backs that strong in pass pro or our tight ends for that matter? Um, I would say the answer is we're not sure and probably not really, right? It's not not Mafa or uh, Shipley's calling card and certainly not Brittany Cool. Yeah, no, definitely not. And, and for my money, like, you know, I, I'm a big Marcus Tate fan. I think Marcus Tate has a lot of talent. And I think he, you know, he took his bumps and bruises when he started as a freshman. But like this is the year where I would think that he would be solidified as our left guard and to see him be rotated out and and not really, you know, not really that sure thing yet. Um, it's super disappointing. Um, it's It's one position that, you know, you need in football. I mean, there's no way around it. I know everyone wants to you know, move the goalposts and say, well, Clemson's never had great offensive lines. Well, that's not a good a good reason to not have one going forward. I mean, why would we just yeah. keep ignoring it? Like, like, let's find a way to have a great offensive line. You know, I, I don't understand this whole, well, we've never needed a great offensive line. Well, it's, it's, it's a good time to start having one, in my opinion. Yeah, no time like, like Chris Rock. Big, big, beefy man up front. Yeah. Chris Rock said, you can drive your car with just your feet doesn't mean it's to be done <laughs> um anyway yeah and then the, the other kind of position group I wanted to talk through was on the defensive line um a lot of ink has been spilled over defensive ends really question marks coming into this year like is Justin Maskell a suitable starter uh, can he get pressure can he keep contain on the edge what are we going to get get out of XP and I wanted to go back to the point you guys had about TJ Parker you see P. Wu get in there a bit um do you really feel like we know XT and Maskell, but what about some of these other guys that have been, you know, those sophomore, redshirt, sophomore, junior guys um, that really haven't seemingly gotten that development? Are you, do we think that's like a coaching situation here? Um, maybe it's a close games. They had to keep, you know, Murph and these other guys on the field in prior seasons. Like how much of it do you, would you um, lay at the, at the feet of our coaching staff? the lack of development um, with, with some of these upperclassmen on the line. Uh, that, that's a tough one for me. I mean, um, I, I think the, the one thing that's interesting in that aspect, specifically in defensive end, is the different kind of body type that we're recruiting now. Like, I don't know if you've seen this, but we're recruiting a Darian Mayo, who's, who's six foot seven as an edge player. You know, that's not the typical edge player that Clemson's seen, you know. It's so what is this change in body type? What are we trying to do going forward? Is that a Wes Goodwin thing? Is that a Nick Eason thing? Is is that Lamancey Halls basically saying like, hey, this is where the game's going and and this is what this is what I need moving forward. But there was a couple of guys that we had recruited that were like six foot six, six foot eight, six foot seven. And you're just like. Well, they have a type now. I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to get at with this. Maybe it's, you know, the evolution of football with more quick game concepts and stuff and, you know, get your hands up and bat it down. But um, but I, I thought that, you know, losing, you know, Miles Murphy and KJ Henry was kind of glanced over by the fan base a little bit too much. Like, you know, we just kind of assumed because XT was still there that we'd be fine at defensive end. But I mean, Miles Murphy and KJ Henry, like those are two talents. And losing them simultaneously, that's that's hard to replace, really hard to replace. 
So I, I think that we kind of understated that a little bit in the off season, to be honest with you. Yeah, definitely agree. I know, Jerry, we called it out, but maybe we weren't, <laughs> we weren't as, uh, as vocal about where, where it could be. Um, the tall guys remind me of like a Kevin Dodd. I think he was like six, five, six, six, um, not the most mobile end, but definitely solid and definitely could muscle his way in. Um, but yeah, you, you know, since then you think of Cleveland Farrell, you think of KJ Henry, um, you know, those guys were a lot more, a lot more burst oriented. So, mm-hmm. yep. Um, yeah. But there's uh, I know I saw at the, near the end, Zaire Patterson, which I haven't really seen much out of him. And, um, He's like, I'm looking right now. It says he's listed as six five, two sixty. I mean, he just looked like a big wide receiver trying to play D end. Like I remember seeing his body out there and just thinking, like, who is this guy gonna push off the line or, or stop? And you really didn't see much of it. I mean, so yeah, I hope that we don't get these like really large wingspan, sort of underfilled bodies that we have to take two or three years to feed them. Uh, and put them through the weight room to to get him any playing time, but yeah, it's it's like we have some that hit. You know, I want to. Uh, it's too bad that Vic Burley is out for the season. Wanted to see some more of him. I want to just. I don't know if I'm crazy or maybe I don't see it. Um, but I just feel like Tyler Davis was his best like freshman year, and you know, since then, yeah, he was injured. He tore his bicep. You know, this kind of stuff. But it's like I don't. I remember when the Power Rangers had their last year. It's like, wow, they are just so freaking good. And I feel like it's Rook and TD's, like, you know, last round. And they don't really, like, blow me away with, like, those those same, thing, same things. Yeah, well, it seems like they're using Tyler Davis more as, like, a nose. Like, they, mm-hmm. they move him closer to the center. Um, I think that he used to play more of a three tech, if I'm right. I, I think that's what I remember him playing freshman year. Um, but now he's kind of lined up over the center, more just taking on double teams and stuff of that nature. But no, I agree. I think Tyler Davis was for sure his best, you know, freshman year. And if he was best as a three tech, you know, why did why did we move him? You know, same reason we moved Trenton Simpson, and uh, you know, we moved uh, <laughs> other people. It's just, yeah, let's get Justin Ross playing in the slot again. <laughs> but I have a legitimate question for you guys. So if we have a defensive line coach and a defensive end coach, why not have an interior offensive line coach and a tackles coach on the offensive line? What's the difference philosophy? Never thought of that. I mean, I think that the number, the reason why they don't is just finite coaching coaches, but I'd almost, be inclined to give Nick Eason the whole D line and let's bring another offensive line coach in that maybe specializes in tackles. I'm not sure where Thomas Austin would fit within that, but he has seemed to get uh, putting him in a place where, you know, he's solid from a, a center perspective. I wanted to plus one of your comment earlier, Dustin. I think the snaps have been right on really the whole season, um, which is not the case the last two years. So, um, you know, that's a big part of, of just the plays getting off on time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it seems like Thomas Austin can use some help here in some way. I mean, maybe he does need more experience, but kind of hard to have him develop at the same time as you need to get your offensive line in, in step. So here's here's a quick take on that. I've been thinking of what if this is Dabo's 4D chess of like he hires these super inexperienced coaches and then we bitch and moan about it until three or four years go by. And he's like, what are you talking about? They've got four years of collegiate coaching experience. These people are fine. And then we just really have nothing to say. (laughs) 
Dabo's just gaslighting us. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. We're used to He's it. Doing it in slow motion. Yeah. Um, but I don't have I don't have a real answer for you, Dustin, in terms of like why do you stack that other side of the ball? I mean, I think it, it goes back to having now I'm gonna forget one of their names, but Marion Hobby, um, and there was another kind of crusty old coach we had, Dan Brooks, back in like the four, 13, 14, 15 era. Um, just two basically like NFL caliber veteran coaches um, that really brought a lot of unique development to the that part of the D line and like that worked great. What we had out of that was like the 2014 defense and then the Power Rangers through their era. Um, I, I know both of those guys left and we brought in um, Lemansky Hall and then the other guy that went to Todd Bates. Oklahoma, Todd Bates, <laughs> who always talked in those. Um, oh, yeah, the acronyms or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Erostics, I think is what they're called. But Probably. anyway, um, yeah, just having those two coaches was like kind of a, a throwback to the early Power Rangers and like the Grady Jarrett era before that. And I just don't know that that fits right now that you necessarily need that, especially, I mean, Nick Easton, obviously he's doing work in the recruiting game. And I just, I would look to a Lemansky Hall, just like, you know, you might look at like a Mickey Kahn or some of these other coaches that previous to Clemson didn't have a lot of bona fides and pedigree. And I think I wish Dabo would take his own advice, looking back to his quote from 2015 about, you constantly have to evaluate yourself and make improvements and make progress or you're going to, you know, get stale and that's where, you know, great empires fall. Um, I think these are some of the, when we talk about lack of development or we talk about just it not being the right fit, I hope he's taking a lens on the whole program and all aspects of the team. And um, that you could talk about like how they manage the roster through COVID and how we, like what happened at defensive end, this probably justifies the show. We'd love to get Quacking Tiger on to talk about that. I think he knows this better than anybody. But how did we get to a place where you got a couple of like six-year seniors, and then there's really nobody who's who's established themselves, and then you have T.J. Parker, like a six-year removed sort of gap between starting caliber talent at the defensive end position. To me, you got to look at the coaching at some point there. Yeah, I think some of it has to do with Clemson not being able to get these kids on campus during COVID, though. I mean, I do attribute some of that, you know, not all of it. I mean, because everyone had to deal with it, right? I mean, it's not just a Clemson problem. That was a, you know, college football problem. So, but I think that when has to... schools cheated, I'll say that. You don't think Georgia <laughs> had some of their DN guys, like, in a room with Kirby? But, yeah, no, you're right. It definitely made it challenging, 100%. Um, okay, well... Why don't we just quick flip, talk about Florida State. Um, very potent offense. I think the Florida State right now, what's weird is last year they really punished and challenged Clemson early on in the running game. Uh, I don't know that that's the hallmark of their team this year. We do know Jordan Travis can scoot with the ball. Um, he did get banged up in his non-throwing shoulder at the end of the first half against BC. So I do wonder if that's going to limit how much they're willing to put him out there in the running game. Uh, but I think this year what what – concerns me the most or what we really should probably focus on when the Knolls have the ball is in their passing attack. Um, they've really hit and abused that transfer portal to bring in talent um, at the tight end position with the guy from South Carolina, um, Keon Coleman coming in from Michigan State. Uh, Johnny Wilson's still there, super tall wide out. So um, again, I think, let me ask you guys, like, do you think Clemson's secondary and pass rush will be able to limit or in some way be able to contain and handle FSU's 
passing game. I, I think the toughest thing about FSU's passing game is that there's times where you're going to have to defend those receivers for four or five, six seconds because Jordan Travis is so good at evading, you know, rushers. I think that's the toughest thing with them is that, you know, so, something similar to what we saw with Riley Leonard in, in week one is that, you know, you think you got him and then you just don't. And then he extends the play for a couple more seconds. And it's just impossible to defend receivers like that. Um, but, you know, I, I think that Clemson has the caliber of talent to do it. I mean, there's not much you can do against Johnny Wilson, to be honest with you. I mean, you kind of just have to limit his yards after the catch. I mean, that's really right. your game plan against Johnny Wilson. Um, but I think that if you're looking at someone like Nate Wiggins, who, you know, he's he's definitely gone after the season. I'm sorry to tell you guys, but he's he's going to the draft like he is. He's getting a lot of draft buzz and he's getting a lot of love from scouts. And and, you know, this is a great test for him. I mean, this is him and Keon Coleman both be drafted, you know, next April. So Nate Wiggins is going to want to put some stuff on film against that guy. Um, and then, you know, you just talk about Barrett Carter being that X factor against Jaheim Bell. You know, Barrett Carter is going to have to contain him. You know, and and it, it helps that he's seen him one time, you know, but, you know, you got to do the flip side of that, too. Jaheim's Bell has seen their, this defense one time as well. So I think it's I think it's a fascinating matchup. I think the secondary has been really good. I think the one thing you can say is you haven't really noticed him that much. You know, where last year you're like, oh, that guy just got burned. Oh, that guy just got burned. You know, this year it's kind of like, oh, he was there to make a play, you know, kind of thing. So I think the secondary has definitely improved. I think that it's definitely a fascinating matchup on Saturday, but. I think Clemson has the talent to do it, um, but it's just doing it for four quarters and and doing it for those extended extended plays, like I was talking about. Totally, totally agree. I, I think you know, I mean, you got Jordan Travis, who's you know, God bless him, twenty nine years old, and he's coming in and he's doing what he's got to do, and he can get out of the pocket. I think they'll probably, if he came back into the game, they're probably going to give him a steroid shot before you know. Like uh, remember the Titan style and just pray nobody falls on his shoulder and um, varsity blues. Yeah, was it varsity blues? It might have been varsity blues. Probably um, remember the Titans was set in like the sixties, wasn't it? Something like that. I mean, yeah, yeah, maybe so. Even with my my, uh, <laughs> my my football trivia, football home home movie trivia is uh, pretty weak right now. So, um, the the thing that I think is interesting is one i don't think i've ever been so excited to see us play a really tough team and not really sort of not expect to win but also not care like i just want to see like okay take a hammer to this thing like does it break does it crack does it bounce the hammer back and shatter the hammer like i am ready to just see whatever the hell happens to this team and if we get burned and roasted then like bam now we've kind of got expectations for the rest of the year and if we like suddenly look like we thought we were going to look then we just scratch our heads and say duke we, i don't know maybe there was uh you know freaking everybody had malaria on the bus or something so yeah this right. is this is going to be a really exciting game well for me no love that you said that is a great way to frame it and i feel the same way jared for me where that is most prevalent is just with the offense and really with Kate Klubnik. And again, bright lights. You could say the Orange Bowl was the bright lights. You could also say the ACC title game was the bright lights. Like, which of those games really had, you know, the fire lit and him really feeling the pressure? I just think, like, this is going to be, we are going to see him in the Crucible and see what comes out of there. Um, I would say with the defense, like, certainly we want to see them stand up to Jordan Travis, who burned us a little bit in the running game last year. 
they're going to be potent. I really want to see that that defensive attack. But I think for me, this one just comes down to our offense. And it was hyped up all offseason. Like, this is really time to see what, like, see Garrett Riley shine. And if for whatever reason they feel like they still have to have the training wheels on Cade, I just don't see why they, like, this is just a time you're not saving anything else. Just put it all out there at this point. Yeah, and not to go too much on a tangent, but, like, the past two years, um, you know, when you've watched Clemson lose games, you never felt like the team was, like, better or special. You know, you never – you know, back in Dabo's, you know, run with the playoffs, you felt like teams had to play an A-plus game to beat Clemson. Like, you didn't feel like you could come to Death Valley and, and have turnovers. Um, you, you know, you couldn't you couldn't make, you know, mishaps on special teams. And now you look at, like, the South Carolina game last year and you're like, South Carolina played like their game at best or pit, you know, two years ago. It's just like these teams aren't playing their best football and still winning. So like for me, like if Florida State's special on Saturday and they beat us in a great game, like tip your cap, move on and and just try and figure out how we can get better going forward. But if they show up and it's something like Boston College where they're just turning the ball over and and, you know, defense is standing on their head and it's 24 to 10 in the fourth quarter and you're like. You know, this game is for the taking. You know, why why, don't, why aren't we taking yeah. this game? That's going to be the most frustrating outcome, right? If if it's there for the taking and Clemson just can't can't step up to the moment. Um, something you know, I commented on, like when was the last time Clemson played a played a team that was like it's better in terms of talent, and you know where we we didn't come away with the like where did we like where am I going with this? Like, really, it, it's been. What did we say about this, Jared? It was like since 2019 that um, we haven't faced a team that's like much better than Clemson from a talent perspective. I guess mm-hmm. you could say the Georgia the Georgia team, um, mm-hmm. but even in so LSU for sure we know that, and then the Georgia team in in 2021. Um, but other than that, like when Clemson's lost, it's really been the teams with like inferior talent. And this Florida State team, on paper again, we still got to see it all come together, but. Um, they definitely look the part, and they've used the portal to get there. We won't hammer on this now, but um, when have we like? When was the last time we saw Clemson defeat a team that was more talented than Clemson? I think it's really been since Alabama in 2018, to be honest. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if if this team can do it. Um, I think just merely that fact that Clemson has played down to some of its opponents and um, you know allowed them to come away with wins these are different teams, different circumstances and this matchup is coming Saturday. Um, we'll see, but I think there's, there's maybe plenty of question marks to point to there to think that Florida state may come away with the win here. Um, uh, but I, I, again, I, I agree with you, Jared. I want to see the Clemson team put its best performance on the field. Let's see what that team's made of. If they do lose a, a more talented Florida state team or a better coach team, mm-hmm. what can you do? Um, we probably as fans this year should be recalibrating our expectations anyway. Uh, but for me, this one's just going to really signal like the ceiling, the floor, everything for this season. Give me your ceiling and floor for this game, uh, both of y'all. I'll give you mine too. All right, so my I'll start first since I have like, spot. What do you mean like yeah. what's the what's the what's the bull case for Clemson? Best case scenario. Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. So so for me, like best case scenario, I think is like. Um, Florida State comes out and they play a little sloppy and their secondary has given up almost twice as many yards as us per game. 
uh, that's it's only three games into the season, so you can't really read too much into that. But like we're just clicking on offense, and we don't look perfect, but it's like those you know the crossing routes, the over the middle, like the stuff is just kind of coming to us as we look for it. The running game, we're finding ways to to crack through and you know run behind an offensive line that's you know going to have to fight for its life all game basically. Um, and then you know we take a take a, a two score win uh, in Death Valley, and I say that the floor is that we essentially get a team that gets punched in the mouth a few times, and then is just making boneheaded decisions on both sides of the ball and uh, trying to make plays when there's no plays to make, throwing picks, fumbling for no reason, uh, just like really like head scratching stuff that we saw in Duke, and then you know we can easily lose by two or more touchdowns. So um, I. I, what's funny is that I I have zero idea which one we're going to get. And that's why I'm just like, I'm not even going to be stressed during the game. I'm just like, what what are we going to get? Just just show me. I just want to see it. I'm not even going to be mad. I'll be mad, but you know, not that mad. <laughs> I think the, the downside range is a lot more than two scores, unfortunately. Um, I'll just say that. I, I do think Florida State has shown they will step on your neck. At the end of a game, they will pour it on. They can do it. Clemson has shown it will go the other direction as well. In, as most notably seen in the Duke game, but also Tennessee. So I'm not saying that is going to happen, but the propensity for things to get away from us and for them to take advantage of that, like both teams have shown that. Um, I, I would say I agree with your, your bull case, Jarrett, but what I would say is all those things could be true, but if Clemson can't execute in special teams, field goal points are going to matter in this one, I'm thinking as well as red zone offense. Like those are the critical parts where you can rip, you can, you know, rip victory or defeat from the jaws of victory, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dustin, what do you think? I think best case scenario, like no matter how the game goes, like I want to see Clemson like up a score at the end of the game and icing the clock, like pushing Florida state around um, like, you know, beating them physically. Like, I, I want to see, like, a six-minute drive to end the game, to ice the game. That would be best-case scenario. Like, if we do that, if we if we win the game by 10 points, say, and at the end of the, at the, end of the game, we're just, you know, we, we push them around for six minutes, move the ball all the way down the field and take a knee and just give them mercy and just say, see you later, you know, probably see you again later on this season. I think that's, that's my bull scenario. Not saying I think that's going to happen. Um, the floor scenario – it's it's rough, you know. I, I think that you look at some you look at a game where it's similar to Duke, you know, where you're just moving the ball and then you're just fumbling in the end zone, or maybe you're just fourth and one in the red zone and and you're like, I can't I can't kick a field goal right now. I got to go for it on fourth and one, and and you turn the ball over, and then Florida State takes the ball all the way down the field and scores, and they just continue to do that. I mean, I, I really think that this game has potential to get out of hand. Like, I really think that, you know, when you look back at 2013 Florida State, like, that could happen. I mean, that game, that game had four turnovers for Clemson. Clemson had four turnovers in that game. Are we are we sure that this team isn't going to turn the ball over on Saturday? You know what I mean? No. Like, that result is possible. I hate to say it, but it really is. So, knowing that, like, knowing there's there's some of these, you know, tendencies or, or issues, like, just from a game planning perspective, let's call it on offense. I mean, how, how critical, like, is there anything you do? Do you, do you put maybe a little bit more of the onus? Like, you want Kay to win this game for us, but, you know, knowing that there's maybe more risk associated with him, 
do you maybe overemphasize Shipley and Mafa in this game? I would for sure. I mean, like, I, I think that that's, I, I think that that's the way that Clemson should always run their offense is that Shipley and Mafa should get the ball most of the time. And then Cage should just be asked to do the little bit extra. You know, I don't think Cage should be asked to go win us a game, um, you know, in, in many scenarios. I think that, you know, you, you want to be able to lean on that run game. And, and like I said, just, just beat them down physically for, for four quarters. I mean, that's always the thing that Clemson has, you know, over any other ACC team is that we can just cycle in waves of guys, you know, that, you know, maybe other ACC teams, they can run their 11 out and it's somewhat equal, you know, but their second, you know, string, you know, shouldn't be able to hang with Clemson's second string or, you know, their first string or any means. So like for me, I, I lean on Shipley and Moff in this game for sure. And, you know, I've always been, a, I've always been a big fan of Shipley. You know, I think that he's been crucial to our offense the past two seasons but Moffa's outplayed him this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really think that Moffa's been the better running back through three games. I mean, even though he hasn't gotten the same amount of carries, like when you look at some of the stuff Moffa's doing, like it's special. Like that cut he made in the middle of the Duke's defense was just like ungodly. It's just like, yeah. how in the world did you see that gap? And, mm-hmm. you know, he still gets caught from behind. I don't think he's, he's not like a lightning speed guy, but that play was huge. I mean, that, stuff like that you just don't see Shipley really do I mean he's kind of a kind of an eight nine yards guy and then he's down you know he's not Mm -hmm. I don't know well sticking with the run game I mean we talked about it earlier an X factor here could be Cade's legs you know again you got to see what the game script is if Clemson's got an early two score deficit I don't know how much the running game is going to be able to impact and he will have to throw but um, you know it is a 60 minute game and Castellanos from BC ran for six yards of carry against this Florida State defense. Like that's something you can rip him, rip him off in a hurry. He had a 45 yard run at one point. So um, again, I, I want to see some of that, that innovation from this offense um, to find, find a way, a way forward. Um, I guess maybe last thoughts, like what is it, Dustin, you focus a lot on the offense in your kind of like best case, worst case, maybe, what can you say about the Clemson D against this Florida State offense? Well, I think it's just I think it's just containing Jordan Travis. I mean, like you don't want him to, you know, be running for 80 to 100 yards on you. You know, you want to be able to keep him contained. And, you know, if if he's got to stand in the pocket and be a great passer to beat you, then, like I said, you just tip your cap and say, you know, good game. And you got the better wide receivers like, you know, you guys were special today. And, you know, that that's it. I mean. I, I'm not as high on Florida State's offensive line as other people are. Like, if you watch that LSU game, like, LSU got a lot of penetration on that Florida State offensive line. Like, they, I don't think Florida's offensive line won the day by any means. You know, Florida State just did right. a good job getting the ball out quick and then using Jordan Travis' legs to extend plays. And, and you know, they, they won that game on the with their perimeter weapons, not up front. So, I think that, you know, Clemson's defense going to have – their defensive line is going to have to step up and, and look dominant. Um, on Saturday and I think that's that's obviously best case scenario it's always been Clemson's best case scenarios you know we've always built our foundation on great defensive lines so you know let's go see it on Saturday and we like our secondary too right so Mm -hmm. they can try to get the ball out fast but at that point how much separation will their receivers have gotten so I'm I'm cool if we're making them sustain a really long like 10 play drive to have to Mm -hmm. score touchdowns Um, that's I think that's the kind of game Clemson wants to get in I don't think we want to get into a track meet with these guys. Yeah. No, I, I also want to point out too, like if 
Florida State's offensive line, if we're getting penetration, like they absolutely will take advantage of the freshmen that are over pursuing. And I've seen that a bunch of times this year, like they're freshmen. So like, they're like, I got this guy, I got this guy, but that, you know, offensive guard, offensive tackle knows more technique and knows how to slowly just shovel him, you know, just two or three yards away from the quarterback so that he can make a, a safe and easy pass. So I will, I will be pretty frustrated if like we constantly see like over pursuing and then running for yards and over pursuing and then running and then throwing for a touchdown, you know, that'll be, that'll be really tough to watch. hundred um, percent. Maybe last thought guys, like what is your, nothing can be done about this now, but a, a noon kick does that favor the Tigers in this matchup. Like, what do you think? I think it'll take some of the crowd and the crowd excitement out of it, but you know, is there, is there something to be said for putting a road team in an early start position like that? Or do you think it doesn't I matter? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're at home. I think that's the that's the biggest thing for us. Um, I've talked to former players, and they love noon games because they're out and headed to the bars by like six p.m., seven p.m. You know, after night, the game. night games. Yeah, yeah, eight p.m. games. They're getting out of the stadium at like two a.m. So, um, the I think on the they game, might be Jarrett, not the after well, game. I'm just saying that if if the kids are <laughs> if the kids are focused on that, then that would be playing well into their hands. Otherwise. Yeah, I, um, I, j- I just don't know that it's going to make that big of a deal. Yeah, same. I, I think it's a little bit overblown. I don't think it really makes that big of a difference. I mean, 2013 was a night game. Sure so, was, by God. Whatever we can do to avoid that. <laughs> When's the last time Clemson played well at noon, though? Think about all the noon kicks we've had in the last two years. Like, when's the last time we had a really good performance yeah. at noon? When's the last Syracuse time we played well last, last year was years. a noon game? Yeah. South Carolina last year was a noon game. Like, those are some yeah. of our worst performances. Mm. Sorry to put that on you. No, he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's making a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Speaking back. a lot of sense. Too much sense. Well, we'll have to we see do know half the, coaching staff, half the coaching staff are listeners of the show. Even 90 minutes or however long in we are at this point. Uh, you know, so shout out to the coaches. Um, yeah. They'll, they'll get them motivated for, for a nooner. Yep. All right, guys. Uh, well, thank you. Obviously, a big one this weekend. Can't wait to see it. Um, Jared, I haven't decided if I'm coming in yet to watch it with you or not, but uh, maybe I will. I'll be there. But, yeah. It's going to be informative no matter what. I think we're going to know a lot about the fate of this season's team after this game. Um, and look, I guess, like, let me let's end it on a good note, guys. Like, what what sort of game will you need to see to actually go back and say, you know what, Duke was a fluke. This team is a championship contender. We look around the landscape. We saw a lot of sloppy games from other, you know, would-be Blue Bloods this year, this last weekend. Maybe our turn was against Duke. Clemson's very much still in it. What do you really need to see to believe that in your bones coming out of this weekend? I don't even think that there is a margin of victory. I just think a victory. Like, if we're if we win by one point, like, I'll be ecstatic. I mean, I, yeah. I don't. You'll think be you'll we, be right there talking about playoff expectations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll yeah. be right there again. No. <laughs> He'll be no. rushing the field from <laughs> wherever he's at. <laughs> no, but right. I, I I really don't I really don't think it's important to win this game by any sort of margin. I mean, like I said, it, it, the way the season's going to play out is if we beat Florida State and then like there's still a bunch of tough games for Clemson. Like I don't look at this Clemson no team. 
I don't look at this Clemson team and be like, oh, if we beat Florida State, we're going to run the table. Like, there's still a lot of games on the schedule where you're like, uh, I don't know about yeah. this one. And maybe I should rephrase. I mean, for me, if Clemson, if it's a, if it's a rock fight, slugfest, really sloppy, we happen to win by one. I don't think that recalibrates my expectation of this not being a playoff mm. team. Okay. I'm, mm-hmm. Let me restate it. I don't think Clemson is a playoff team right now. If we win a sloppy game, I will also not think Clemson is a playoff team. But if the defense is insanely potent and Cade comes out slinging it and the running game is, is looking great, maybe I'll change my stance. And, of course, they're going to have Notre Dame, Miami. Hell, Syracuse looks pretty good. Uh, North Carolina looks pretty good. Um, NC State probably won't be a pushover for this team. So there there are plenty of landmines remaining on the schedule that could trip them up. And I think two losses is an elimin- eliminator when you play in the ACC. But uh, I, I think just the, the product on the field is what I would look for to say, oh, yeah, I'm back I'm back on the, on the bandwagon for a playoff run. Yeah, I think for sure you got to see a boa constrictor defense, right? You got to see the defense dominate. Like you, you, you yeah. can't expect Clemson to win a bunch of shootouts this year, I don't think. So I think if you see like Clemson hold Florida State to I don't know twenty points, seventeen points, and Clemson wins by you know thirty five to twenty, I think that that's like a good sign that hey, if we mm-hmm. can hold Florida State to twenty points, I mean, there's not a lot of teams on our schedule that we should we should give up forty to, you know? Yep. Yeah. After that, exactly. And Dabo would love nothing more than to uh, have a big victory over them and just never, ever touch the transfer portal, proving, you know, using that to prove his point. Um, I think something that I want to see more than anything is, like, can we get into a rhythm on offense even when it's not easy to get into a rhythm on offense? You know, like, do we just start kind of getting away from stuff and just start throwing the bubble screens to death, you know, just for to make anything happen or – you know, can we just be ballsy like every couple of drives and just chuck it downfield in single or double coverage to just trust your guy, you know? So, yeah. Don't yeah. play scared. Do, do we see a flea flicker on Saturday? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that we're going to yeah, see take some, some prop back here. <laughs> yeah, risky. Any, any trick play of shenanigans? A, fu- a punt Ruthie or a fumble Ruthie would just be <laughs> yeah. chef kiss. Oh, yeah. yeah. If, we, if we see that circle on the kickoff return again, then, you know, we're doomed, man. <laughs> I'm turning the game off. Yeah. <laughs> Mafa, the Mafa ring of death. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please not. All right, guys. Well, uh, Dustin, man, thanks so much for coming on, sharing your wisdom, sharing your takes. Uh, Jared, good job as always. Great to chop it up. Um, we're a quarter of the way through the season. We're about to be a third of the way through the season. I can't believe it. Uh, it's moving quickly got to enjoy it even though it's been maybe lopsided or up and down so far but you know big one this weekend kind of tough because there's so many other games i want to watch but i'm going to be laser focused on this one i guess it's good to get this one over we'll see how much college football we want to watch after this game but um really a a big a big weekend in terms of the sport and in terms of the national playoff picture and conferences conference races and all that stuff so um, we're really getting into the beat of the schedule now it's really fun um for all people going out to Death Valley, do not sell your ticket to a knoll. Have some pride. Sell it to a tiger. Give it away to a tiger. Like, whatever you got to do. Uh, but have fun at that game. Be loud, please. Um, you guys got any parting thoughts about this team this season before uh, before this game? Any predictions or hot takes you want to get in? You can be right. 
I don't know that I have any, I don't know that I have any hot takes, but the, the really the, the thing that no one really talks about and I think it's fascinating with Florida State is that they're really a case study for what we're starting to see with the transfer portal. And I think you can build an offense through the transfer portal. I don't think you can build a defense through the transfer portal. So if you look at a team like Clemson, who recruits really well on defense, but you can, you can, you know, you can create a good team through the transfer portal on offense. I think that that's, you know, going forward, that's, it's a good sign for success. Um, and hopefully something that Clemson can start to dip into because, you know, when you see Florida state's defense is definitely their weakness and they have tons of transfers and LSU first week of the year, breaking a new secondary with a bunch of transfers. So I think that that's kind of like, the philosophy that's diametrically opposed is, you know, the transfer portal is great for offensive skill players, but not great for defensive players. And when you're trying to create continuity. So that's the one thing I'm looking for for the rest of the year. And particularly with this Florida state team and, and something that I think you'll see a trend of in college football for sure. I love that. I haven't heard that take before. So that is a hot take approved. I think uh, the only thing I want to see is either way at the end of the game when Dabo gives his press conference I want to hear some real um, words and things other than just coach speak if we win great like talk about why if we lose great like dive into why and not just tip your hat to the other guy that they wanted it more than us so um, I'm really excited to see this team and um, it's going to set the tone for the rest of the season good bad and different still got to go tiger in me every day Awesome. Okay, guys, thank you so much. We're going to wrap it there. Uh, everyone enjoy the game. As far as the, the podcast goes, you know where to find us in your podcasting app of choice. Uh, hit us up on our social media. We are on Twitter, aka X. We're also on Facebook. Whatever platform you use, please come find us, follow us, engage. We're there. Dustin, why don't you shout out your, your handles where people can find your, your work? Uh, you can follow the Clemson Sports Media YouTube channel. All my film breakdowns are there. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at DustinB429. Brilliant. We will uh, get this show out there. We'll definitely shout you out on our handle as well. Um, thanks for coming on, man. We'll have to do this again sometime. Um, and let's wrap it there. Thank you to everyone. And as always, go Tigers. Yep. Go Tigers. Appreciate it.